you start with a foundation. You got to start with something and then you can build on top of that. And so those five cardinal skills, the first one in the book, it's called relaxation and activation, but I've kind of changed my terminology of that a little bit since I published the book. And I really call it emotional flexibility now. So the idea is, yeah, like we all have emotions. It's not getting rid of emotions is not the goal. It's understanding and utilizing your emotions in a positive way is the goal. The big question is this. In a world of fake Instagram models and fad diets, how do real people achieve their fitness goals? We are an army of hardworking women changing their lives through fitness and health. Wherever you are at on your journey, we have the answers to how to make working out and eating well a part of your life. Join us in changing the dialogue for women everywhere. Welcome to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Rachel. (laughs) So nice to have you guys. Today is a incredibly amazing guest. We have the B.O. end all on successful mind, successful thinking, successful visualization. We have the key right here. She is with us today. She is Dr. Nicole Detling and she's a mental performance coach. Guys, if the mental game is where you feel like you struggle, this is the podcast. I this mean, does one. anyone feel like they don't struggle there? I know. Everyone's I think that's like, actually- raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> so she is the owner of Headstrong Consulting and she's a renowned speaker and author who has worked with Oh my God, her, her, she is Olympians, professional athletes, champions in their sport, CEOs. They all have the goal of maximizing their mental capacity for success. And she is the one they go to. So she is currently the owner of Headstrong Consulting, which is a sports psychology company focusing on performance enhancement through mental skills training. She is the co-author of Don't Leave Your Mind Behind, and she has appeared on the Colbert report. I'm like a secret closet fan of like, I'm freaking out that you were on Colbert. I'm just, you know how you know if someone's a fan of Colbert, if they say Colbert, not Colbert. Mm, Everybody knows. Mm -hmm. I'm so, she's been on the Olympic channel. She's been on NPR. Like this is the woman for maximizing your mental game. So welcome, Nicole. We are so, so, so lucky to have you. Oh, you guys are awesome. I have, I appreciate being here. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Mm-hmm. No, we're happy to have you. <laughs> so I want us to jump right in to like, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the field. Sure. Yeah. So I was an undergrad at Ohio Wesleyan University, and I was double majoring in psychology and sports science. And I was also an athlete. So I played basketball and ran track. And my junior year in college, my dad called me up and said, Nicole, did you know there's a field called sports psychology? And I was like, what? No. And so this dates me a little bit. Your listeners might have to Google these terms. But I... At that point, there was no Google. So I go to the library on campus and went to the Dewey Decimal Card Catalog System. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. And I look up sports psychology and I'm finding all this information and all these books, which there wasn't a ton at the time, but I found enough and it piqued my interest. And unknowingly, I became my first case study. So I'm reading about this field, about these different mind tricks and mind hacks and mental skills that you can use to improve your performance. And I realized that I was my own biggest enemy. I was the one holding myself back in my sports. I wasn't a great athlete, but I was good enough to play in college and I did fairly well. But what ended up happening is the difference between my junior and senior year was phenomenal. Now, I was not the phenomenal athlete, but the difference in my play was phenomenal. And the only thing that I had changed was the way I was thinking, the way I talked to myself, the way I prepared myself mentally before the games and the track meets. And I realized that right then and there that everybody needs this. This stuff is amazing. Oh, my goodness. And you know what? From there, I went on and got a master's degree. I did an internship and then I got my PhD and I've never looked back. I just I fell in love with this field from a personal perspective. And I want to bring the information to everybody because I know how helpful it is when you just get your mind in the right place. So... That's the best, in my opinion. Mm. All of the people that I've worked with that have been the most successful coaches and mentors and helpers have been people who have tested this on themselves mm -hmm. and seen the power of whatever it is in their field and been like, you know what? I have to, I have to get this out there mm. because like this information is life changing. And that is, I think, breeds the most passionate coaches and mentors and people who have lived it. I just love hearing that you like did this yourself and then kind of like I, I, the the need to spread it to other people is just oh, yeah. so innate. You can't even fight it. It's just like it's oh, more it's of your beautiful. calling rather than your like, oh, I have to choose this path thing. That it's I have beautiful. To yeah. That's so beautiful. When and that honestly, that's the right way to say that. Like it just became my calling. And not only did I use it on myself, I was my first client, basically my first case study. But I continue to do so now, 20, 30 years later, I continue to use this stuff on a daily basis because I know how much it works. And I've certainly impacted my life in a really positive way and have seen the impacts on so many people over the years. And it's really fulfilling to be able to help people become better versions of themselves and figure out how to do life a little bit better. I mean, we're all looking for that. And certainly getting your mind in the right place is one of those things that's going to help you do those things. Oh, what could be more fulfilling than that? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. seeing people really reach their full potential. Like that is, that's everything. That's everything. So your practices and techniques have been used by some of the most successful athletes in the world. We have a sheet of the people you've worked with and it's like, it's insane. These people have reached the pinnacle of their sport. Can these same techniques be used for any level athlete or even any area of your life, non-athletically? Non yeah, you bet. So one of the things that I say all the time is, you know, everything we do every day is a performance. We perform at work. We perform driving to work. We perform in our relationships as spouses, parents, friends, 
significant others, um, as you know, sons and daughters, we, we perform all the time. And so although a majority of my athletes or my clients are athletes, really this stuff is for human beings. It doesn't matter what your performance is. We use our brains in our performances. We use our minds when we perform, we talk to ourselves all day long. And so when we think about it, you know, in a lot of ways, life is a performance. So I have clients, sure, Olympics, professional athletes. I work with a lot of elite athletes and have had that great opportunity to do so over the years. But I've also had clients as young as eight years old. Parents are saying, man, they're really beating themselves up and they're only eight. We got to teach them some better life skills going forward. And then as you've already mentioned, I've worked with a number of business professionals. The federal government brings me in to do trainings on a consistent basis on mental toughness because they have to perform at their jobs too. So really, this is for everybody, anybody who has a brain, anybody who thinks their way through the day, this stuff can be helpful for you as well. Yeah, I love bringing that full circle because I think sometimes in whatever sport we're in or whatever thing we're working on at the time, we don't realize that all of those skills that we're doing on a daily basis are things that we're translating into our everyday life. So like in previous podcasts, we've talked about, you know, integrity and grit and courage and some of those things that we see on a daily basis in our workouts and how that translates to you as a human and having courage to maybe take that leap for your job or your next relationship or things like that. But those are just things that we're building. Those are attributes we're building on a daily basis. And we're just using them. We're just building them in different ways. Some of us are building them in the gym. Some of us are building them in our relationships, like whatever we're doing, we're still looking at those attributes as a human that we're looking to like be better. It's like, we're all doing the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when asked, people regard their mental game as the missing link or element to their success. So although they might think they have the tools available, something mental is always holding them back from achieving their goals. In your opinion, are we born with mental toughness and can it be a learned and developed skill that we learn? It's absolutely learned and developed. No doubt about it. I mean, it's, we talk about resiliency. We talk about putting a fence at the top of the cliff rather than an ambulance down in the valley. Like you can do things to build your resiliency so that you never fall off the cliff. And it's the same thing with mental toughness. The idea is we have a level of mental toughness that we have built through our lives. Everybody out there has some level of mental toughness because quite frankly, if you think about it, when you get to be an adult, you've been through some stuff. Right? No we matter what, been you've been through some stuff. stuff. That's, right. That's right. And going through that stuff and surviving through that stuff does help build that mental toughness. It does help build some resiliency. But we can also preemptively build mental toughness. We can do things that will help us, you know, throughout life with the next tough thing that's coming your way because something else is coming. As long as you're alive, there's something else coming down the pipe. And so the more mentally tough you are, the more, the better you can get through that situation and just live your best life. I mean, this, this is absolutely learned skills, things that you can do to help you train your mind so that you can be prepared for whatever comes your way and get through it, not just surviving, but thriving on the other side and really enjoying life. Like I said before, it's living your best life, being the best version of yourself. And what a hopeful thought. 
that that is something that you can learn and be better at. And that life is doesn't just have to be happening to you, that you can be an active participant. I just think that's really hopeful and, and just gives me life. Yeah. And that like, you know, some, the idea that like some people are born with mental toughness and some aren't like, that's the idea that you can just build at any point those Tomorrow. skills and start to build them is just like, yes. <laughs> you know what? A great way to think about it too is if you want stronger biceps, you go to the gym and you lift weights and you do the curls, right? And if you do that day after day, you're going to increase the strength of your biceps. It's the same thing with mental skills. You got to put your time in. You got to do your mental reps, which is what I call it, right? So it's like lifting that, doing that bicep curl. Got to do those mental reps. But when you do those mental reps, specifically on a consistent basis, you will build mental strength. You will build mental toughness. It's the same concept. So, Nicole, you often refer to, you know, psychological factors that are going to contribute to performance. How important is the mental game in, in our overall success? Like is, you know, they say like believing you can is half the battle. Like, is that true? Well, so I like to say, you know, when it comes to sports anyway, a lot of people will ask how much of your sport is physical and how much is mental. And most people will answer that question. I think the lowest number of mental I've ever heard is 50-50. <laughs> and most people will say that it's more mental than physical. Most people will say 80-20 or 90-10. And I don't even care what sport we're talking about, but that's generally the amount I give. But my belief within a sporting context is that sport is actually 95% physical and 5% mental. But here's the catch. That 5% mental controls the 95% physical. If your mind is not in the right place when it comes to that competition, then your training kind of goes out the window. You hold yourself back without meaning to. It's not on purpose. It's not deliberate. But you're not putting yourself in that space to be the best version of yourself for that day. And so training that 5% that really does control the 95% physical becomes absolutely crucial and imperative. Now, that's within a sporting context. But if we take that just to life context as well, if you think about it, you know, a lot of your listeners are working out or doing the best we can. Maybe they're trying to lose weight or they're just trying to stay healthy or maybe they're training for a 5K or something like that. If they think back, all of you right now listening, just kind of think back to maybe the last week. And how much did your mind come into play in terms of what you were capable of doing for that day and how you really approached your workout or didn't approach your workout? What excuses you gave yourself? How maybe your body did hurt a little bit that day and maybe you held back, but did you really need to? Could you have pushed through? How many times have we finished the day and said, oh my gosh, I totally could have gone harder in that workout. Or I can't believe I didn't go to the gym today. And then you beat yourself up for it. So it's your brain that's make, making those determinations for you. It's your brain and what you're telling yourself and the messages that you're giving yourself that really impact what you do daily what you choose to do physically. So whether it's working out, what you're putting in your body, all of those things. So even in life, that 5% mental is going to impact the 95% physical. Yeah, absolutely. Now in your book, you refer to the five cardinal skills of mental toughness. Can you discuss these a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So basically if, if you're not sure exactly where you need to work on your mental toughness, 
Uh, a lot of people will come in and they'll tell me, I need more confidence or I really need to work on my emotions in sport or something like that. But many people will come in and say, I just want to be more mentally tough. I recognize how important it is and I don't know how to build it. I don't know what to do. And in that case, I talk to them about those five cardinal skills of mental toughness, which is basically your platform or your foundation of mental toughness. And you can compare that to physical skills as well to where we've got to, you know, if you want to run a 5K, well, first of all, you got to get off the couch, right? And then maybe your second step is to walk around the block. And eventually you build yourself up to being able to run a 5K. Well, it's the same thing physically mentally. You, you start with a foundation. You got to start with something and then you can build on top of that. And so those five cardinal skills, the first one in the book, it's called relaxation and activation, but I've kind of changed my terminology of that a little bit since I published the book. And I really call it emotional flexibility now. So the idea is, yeah, like we all have emotions. It's not getting rid of emotions is not the goal. It's understanding and utilizing your emotions in a positive way is the goal because no emotions is impossible, right? We are human beings. We are going to have emotions, but what do you do with them? How do they impact you? How can you use them for your good instead of your detriment, for your benefit instead of your detriment? And so really that first one is understanding those emotions, using them to work for you. When it comes up in the middle of that, you know, that, that big moment for you, what do you do with it? How do you manage it? Right. So that, that's number one. I love that. I love that I one to, so I have much. To pause on that. I know me too. <laughs> well, no, I, we can I, pause on that one. I think so many people think mental toughness is about stifling emotions. Yes. Lessening them, pushing them down, ignoring them. I think when people, a lot of people think of mental toughness, mm. they think of it as ignoring your emotions and just steamrolling over it. And I just love to hear you say that like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not about stifling them and making them less and ignoring that they exist. It's about the way you use them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I just have a, like a really great example of a thing, like where I learned something that was helpful for that. I was competing at Wadapalooza, which is a major competition, like in Miami. And we had to do a open water swim and I'm deathly afraid of the water in sharks. And you're not I, afraid of the water. You're afraid. I'm afraid of sharks. <laughs> <laughs> like deathly afraid. Like it's irrational and like whatever. So like we're waiting in the, in the area, the athlete briefing area. And I was like physically started to shake. And then I was like, Oh, I am so afraid right now. And one of my teammates are like, you're not afraid. It's fine. And I was like, no, no, I am afraid right now. And then I was like, that's okay. It's okay for me to be afraid right now. I'm so fearful, but it's going to make me swim better and I'm going to swim faster. And I was like, just, just like tried to figure out ways that like that fear, because it, telling me I wasn't afraid was not going to happen. I was literally so afraid, but it was what I did with that fear next that really decided whether I was going to jump in the water or not. Because some of the fear came from, I'm going to run down the ramp and I'm not going to get in. And then my teammates are going to be standing there like get in Kelsey. And I'm gonna be like, I can't, <laughs> I can't. I'm too afraid. House. There's a shock's house. I'm afraid I'm frozen. But I was like, no, no, like I have this fear and it's going to make my, you know, it's going to raise my heart rate. I'm going to have more adrenaline. I'm going to survive this because I'm afraid. Yes. That so <laughs> perfect. That is one of the strategies that I use with the athletes that I work with is label, acknowledge and label your fear. 
or your emotion, we'll just call it the emotion, whatever it is, because it's not necessarily fear for everybody. But in that moment, the most powerful thing that you can do with that high level of, of emotion is acknowledge it and label it. I am afraid. I feel frustrated. I am angry. I, whatever it is, acknowledge it and label it. And what that does is actually it takes the edge off of it a little bit. It does. Yeah. yeah. Feel that when you labeled it. Mm, oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like as soon as it came out of my mouth, it, there was almost like a relief there. Yes. Like I don't have to hide this fear anymore. Yes. Like I can just put it out there and it's yes. real and it's fine. Yep. And then you did the exact right thing next, which is, okay, if that's the situation I have, what am I going to do with it? So rather than just sitting in the fear, right, you acknowledged it and you labeled it. And rather than sitting in it, you did something about it. So the terminology I use all the time with this is embrace the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck, right? Mm. So you embrace mm -hmm. the suck, like I'm afraid and this sucks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to encounter a shark and this sucks, right? But then mm. you didn't get stuck in the suck. You didn't get stuck in the fear. Instead, you said, what am I going to do with this? How can this help me? How can this make me better? I'm going, I'm going to choose to get in even though I'm afraid. Yes, I'm afraid and I'm going to swim anyway. So what am I going to do with it? And that's getting out of the suck. That's not getting stuck in the suck. And even though you probably still took that fear into the swim with you, it ended up helping you in some ways, because as you said, it's going to give me more adrenaline. Maybe it'll get me out of the water faster. I'm gonna, yeah. I'll I swim so fast. You can use those emotions in ways that are going to help you and enable you and really kind of drive you forward rather than holding you back. The absolute worst thing you can do is try to push those emotions down. That's the worst thing that you can do because they will take control of you. You know, I often will tell people. They start making you like shake. Exactly. Like that, that's what was happening when I was pushing them down was I, like my body started shaking. Like yes, <laughs> they won't out. go away. They're coming out. <laughs> and you're not going to be the best version of yourself in the swim when you're shaking. That's, that's not, I mean, if we talk about motor behavior, that's not conducive to a really strong, solid, efficient stroke right? That's going to cause a lot of really short, choppy strokes. You're not going to make much progress. It's, it, I mean, performance wise, it's not good for you to swim while you're shaking and your muscles are that tense and that tight. And so taking that edge off helps you relax a little bit, which then will give you those more efficient, smoother strokes, which is what you've trained, right? I always tell people with this, you know, cardinal skill number one is you can't control anything about your performance until you first learn to control yourself. And control doesn't mean controlling those emotions. It means working with the emotions. Mm. Yeah. That's mm. freaking insightful. Feel your feels. Dude, that's yeah. so insightful. <laughs> yeah. Feel your feels. I've been saying this since I was like eight, but it's like finally just making sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's why it's number one, because the other four cardinal skills quite frankly, don't mean anything. If your emotions are so out of control and from your example, Kelsey, if you're shaking and you're just thinking about how afraid you are, maybe the person next to you is saying you're not afraid and you're trying to not be afraid and push that down. The other four don't mm -hmm. matter. You're not even mm -hmm. there. Like you, that number one is number one for a reason. Do you want to talk about the other four? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm invested. Mm -hmm. I'm very much invested. <laughs> I'm invested too. I'm going to feel my feels. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have struggles there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My feels. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Rachel sometimes just goes like they don't exist. 
and then, I don't have feeling. And then it's really hard to address the next steps. So, but all right, I'm yeah. invested. Okay, right. so I'm going to yeah. feel my feels. So, okay. so, okay, so for okay. what's number two? Yeah, number two is focus and concentration, which basically means getting your mind at the where it's supposed to be when it's supposed to be there. So we all have these external distractions. We have internal distractions. Our mind goes to places that's not productive for us in the moment. So it's really learning to keep your mind in the space where it's supposed to be, right? Um, it's be where your feet are. It's be in this moment. A lot of it's mindfulness type of training and really engaging with the moment in a way that's going to be best for you. However, it can include such things as deliberate distractions. So what that would be is if you're an overthinker, which many of us are, that's a common thing, right? So those of you listening, if you're an over overthinker, you're probably joined by the other 15,000 people listening to this episode. <laughs> you all are to a degree. And you can't stop your thinking. You can't just stop all of those thoughts that come in. Something that might be helpful for you is choose to distract yourself with something that's beneficial for you. So, for example, if we go back to Kelsey, your example, and oh my gosh, there's sharks, there's sharks, there's sharks, and your mind is so focused on the sharks that you can't think about anything else, you go through that process of engaging with those emotions, acknowledging them, labeling them. And then your next thought could be, I'm going to distract myself by singing a song that has a great beat to it that makes me feel good, that maybe matches my swim stroke that I want to do. And when you're singing this song in your mind, what are you not thinking about? Sharks, <laughs> right? So using some kind of a technique that really allows your mind to be at peace, to be at ease, to really engage with the moment. So for some people, it's going to those deliberate distractions. Other people, it's truly engaging with what's happening now. And a lot of times I'll use, and it depends on the sport, it depends on your situation. But if you find your mind often wandering to the future or to the past, which is where our minds go, we're time travelers in our minds, right? Yet our bodies are always in the present moment, then we can use the five senses exercise. So look around you and what do you see? Maybe notice something you wouldn't normally notice, like there's a crack in the wall or, hey, that blade of grass is taller than the other blades of grass, right? You're looking for, you know, idiosyncrasies within the environment. So you're just seeing what's around you. And then you hear what, what can you hear that maybe you would have tuned out. What can you smell? Maybe it's even a bad smell, a wet dog that's nearby or something that you've been trying to block out, right? What can you taste and what can you feel? And so when you engage in that moment with your five senses, that's also getting your mind away from the past and the future and into the present moment, which is where life happens. Life happens now. It already happened in the past. It hasn't yet happened in the future, but it sure is happening right now. And so whether you use a dis deliberate distraction technique to get your mind away from whatever it is that's causing you agony or stress in the moment, or even just bringing your mind into this moment to get it away from the past or the future, those are two simple techniques that you could do for that focus and concentration just to get your mind where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be there, so that you can be your best self in that moment. We just did an episode on living in the past because we were finding that so many women we speak to were having a hard time in motivating themselves to work out based on 
Oh my God. I was so much fitter before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I was the things I can do. I could do then. And it is so hyper-focused on this former self that we, we said like is mostly rosy colored because like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you were there, you didn't think you were that great, but, and it was like holding them back from doing a workout today because like, what was the point? I'm so far gone from what I used to be. And I really love that because that was happening to me. We did that a lot based on my own experiences. Mm -hmm. And one of the best things I found was when I first got to the gym to put on an awesome playlist that I could focus on the music. Mm -hmm. So I didn't focus on like, oh, I'm picking up this baby dumbbell. And like a year ago, I would have picked up like a super heavy one. But I wasn't thinking about that because Drake was on. Because Drake was on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even know I was doing that. But I just found one day that it was like super helpful Mm -hmm. if I just would go somewhere else. So I didn't let my mind go to who I used to be. And yeah, that's so insightful and helpful. Yeah. And I think this is good information. I mean, there's two fundamental facts about the brain that really will, I think when you understand this, it helps you use those strategies more effectively. So the first one is at any one moment in time, we can only have one thought in that forefront conscious part of our brain. There's only one We switch back and forth between thoughts very quickly. In fact, women switch like twice as fast as men do, according to our brain. Not shocking. (laughs) Ladies. Right? There's actually science behind this. Yes. (laughs) Right? But if I take a snapshot of your brain, there's one thought. There's one thought. There's one thought. So there's only one at a time that's happening in there. And then the other second fundamental fact is that there's, it's called the law of occupied space, which means that forefront conscious part of your brain is always occupied with something. There's never nothing there. There's always something and only one thing. So in order to stop thinking about something, the way you stop thinking about something is that you start thinking about something else. So if you want to stop thinking about, well, I used to be this, I used to be that. Or if you want to stop thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so fat. Oh my gosh, I hate my stomach. Oh my gosh, you know, whatever. However you beat yourself up and we all do it, every single one of us, myself included, I'm not immune to this, but I know the techniques to get out of it, which is to start focusing on something else. Music is a great thing to focus on. It usually can lift your mood. There's a lot of benefits that go with music, but it doesn't always have to be music. You literally can put your brain anywhere you want it to be. And what that does is get it away from where you don't want it to be. It gets it away from beating yourself up or away from the sharks or away from whatever that is that's keeping you away from the gym or making you want that bag of chips instead of the apple or whatever it is, right? So once you kind of, you understand that and then you start playing around with it, you'll find how true that becomes. Now, go back to, we switch back and forth very quickly between thoughts, which means that you have to very deliberately keep your brain, keep your mind on that one thing that you're choosing because we're switching back and forth and the shark will come back in or beating yourself will come back in. Like, oh my gosh, I'm picking up the baby weight. Well, what are you going to do after that? When that thought comes in, what's the thought that you're going to use to push it out? So recognizing that it's come in. And then going back deliberately, intentionally thinking about focusing on something else. So maybe I I picked up that baby weight. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. You know, a year ago would have been a 20 pound and now it's a three. But maybe your next thought is, hey, at least I'm picking up a weight. How did I get to the 20 pound before? I started with a three. So you know what? Let's do this. I'm picking up that three and I'm going to make it the best 
this is going to be the best curl I've ever done. And then I'm getting into my music and I'm jamming out and I'm thinking about, you know, hey, at least I'm doing something for myself, whatever it might be. But once you recognize that technique, you can use it anytime, anywhere to get your brain out of the space that's holding you back. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I really love that. And I think some of us have like unconsciously used some of those things and been like, Oh, okay. I know like for some of us, if you're a lifter and I've walked up to the bar and pictured myself failing the lift before and then been like, well, that's not helpful for what we're doing, Kelsey. And then I'm mad at myself for picturing a fail. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do instead? And then I'll like, very purposefully picture makes like over and over. Like if it's a clean, I'm like picturing like a clean and me standing up and just like replaying like the makes because like I've now put myself into a fail before I've even touched the bar. Well, we're going to, I, cause I have a real, I have a oh, question about visual. Well, oh, she's, okay. she does like a lot with visualization. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. so obsessed with visualization. And that's actually number three. That's cardinal. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay. What do you <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> yeah. So number three is visualization and or imagery. So people use the terms interchangeably, visual, but visualization, technically, if you go to the academic world within the research and stuff, visualization is just seeing. But when we perform, when we live life, we don't just see things. We hear, smell, taste, feel, and imagery is including all of the senses and making it as real as possible. And you're exactly right. When we see ourselves, when we imagine ourselves doing something successfully, we truly are programming our body to achieve that success, to go in that space and do that thing that we are wanting to do. And so the best thing you can do, if you imagine yourself failing, the best thing to do is take a step back from the bar and imagine yourself succeeding over and over and over again, and then you approach the bar. That's absolutely the best thing you can do because we know the research on this is really, really clear that when we imagine certain things, our brain actually innervates our muscles in the same timing, in the same sequence as though we were actually performing whatever it is that we're imagining. And the muscle contractions are so small. This is cool stuff, you guys. This is so So cool. Contractions are so small that we can't feel them. But what's happening is our brain innervating those muscles in that same timing and same sequence. Basically, that's where muscle memory is housed. And our body doesn't know that we didn't actually perform those movements because according to our bodies, we did. Right? Yes. I could go into more science if you want, but we actually just this past week. So I did a special or I did a spot with ABC News 538 on imagery for the Olympics. And they they um, they highlighted one of the summer Paralympians that I work with. His name is Matt Stutzman. He has no arms and he's in the sport of archery and it's stinking cool. And then they also had some ski jumpers and Nordic combined winter Olympians that I work with. And so if you go to, it's on YouTube, if you look up um, imagery and maybe my name and then maybe Matt Stutzman will probably pull up that spot and it'll give you a really good visual description of how imagery works in your body um, and kind of go through what some of the Olympians and Paralympians that I work with do to help train them in the, in using imagery. 
it, this is such cool stuff. And I think what's important for your listeners to understand is that we imagine stuff all the time. We may not recognize we do, but we do. And when we are imagining ourselves failing, when we look in the mirror and I know you've already done an episode on body dysmorphia, so I don't need to go back to that. But when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves in a way that we, we don't actually, it's not reality for us, our brain is helping to create that look. It's helping to create that within our body. So the best thing to do when you look in the mirror is say, I love myself. I love who I am. And you know what? I am getting stronger. Start noticing some definition. Start noticing some strength. And we're all still going to look in the mirror and not like some things we see, but we can also appreciate the things that we do see. And when we focus there and when we focus on, you know, hey, maybe my thighs aren't where I want them to be yet but I'm working on it and they're getting stronger and I love them and I love what they can do and I'm going to keep working on them. And that image, that imagery will help to create that within your body. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, you Brain ever, is so freaking it's powerful. so freaking cool, but you ever like have a dream about doing something yeah. and then when you go to do it, it's like 10 times easier Yeah. because like you did it successfully in your dream or like they'll say like, I didn't open workout like that. Yeah, you did open I, workout in your dream. In, in my dreams. in my dream, and you did, and you crushed it. Yeah, yeah, and then you really crushed it. Yeah, and then I really crushed it, and I was like, well, I don't know. I've been dreaming about this all night, and my my bar muscle ups are going to be great today, apparently, because they were in my dreams, and then like they were the best that they had been. Are you? That was so weird. Like, or when you're running in your dream away from someone, and you Mm -hmm. wake up and you're actually physically tired, and you're like, "But wait, I was just in my bed. Like, how can I (laughs) just in my bed? Am I just making this up?" But like, no, the muscles really think you did it. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It it is the absolute coolest stuff. And what the research shows, though, is that you can get those benefits of imagery with as little as ten minutes a day. So if you have something coming up that whether it's exercise related, performance related, or even, you know, you're doing public speaking event, you're really nervous about it or something. If you spend 10 minutes a day and those 10 minutes don't have to be sequential, you can do 10 one minute segments if you want to throughout the day, but just you want to accumulate 10 minutes a day minimum and you imagine yourself being successful going through whatever that is, those 10 minutes a day will add up to as though you actually did those events. And that's where we start to see some of the physical benefits. I don't know if you want me to go into like the physiology of what happens in your body, but that's where you really start to see some of those beneficial events and those the myelination of those nerve patterning and things like that. And that's where your body really starts to feel that, Hey, I did go through and do that. And your brain knows maybe you didn't actually physically do it, but when your body feels stronger, you feel more confident when your body feels like, Hey, I've done this before your brain goes, Oh yeah, I'm ready. And holy cow, when you get somewhere and you feel like you are ready to be there, that is the best confidence that you can have going into any event is preparation. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone who has played or prepared for anything can understand that the like, oh, I'm not ready to do this and then having to do it anyway. And then the difference between showing up and being like, oh, no, I'm ready. Like I'm ready. And it's a whole nother feeling. Yeah. And I have a follow up question about visualization because I have a hard time with it not going off track, but I want to ask you that after. And then I want, yeah. So I want to let you finish your, the two other for the cardinal skills. And then I want to ask you like, how do we 
not go off on a, t- a bad track on our visualization. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know, it might be more productive to actually answer that now because I think on number four, you're going to have a lot more questions. <laughs> okay. So I just want to ask you, if so if you're doing a visualization exercise and you find yourself, do you're supposed to be doing the best case scenario, but you keep doing the worst case scenario. Yeah. I have like a really lot of trouble with that. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to folk, I'm, I, I know what I want to do, but like I keep picturing the bad thing. Okay. First of all, thank you for that question because that happens all the time. And Pete, there are so many people who struggle with that. So I'll start, I'm going to go back just a little bit and say, if that's, if you do that all the time, then stop doing the imagery or the visualization of of your performance and what you want. Like just stop that initially, but then go back to training your visualization skills. It's totally a skill, which means you can improve it. You can get better and start with something simple. So like close your eyes and imagine a room that you're really comfortable and familiar with. So maybe it's your bedroom or maybe it's your kitchen or your living room or Maybe it's your patio outdoor, like somewhere where you spend a lot of time and you know very well, you know very intimately all the little details about that room and then work on manipulating the room. So make your bed, unmake your bed, open drawers, take out a favorite t-shirt, feel the texture of the t-shirt, feel the doorknob, um, open a drawer in the kitchen, see where your knives, forks and spoons are and take one out and feel it, you know, in your mind, you know, do the dishes in your mind, see an empty sink, see a full sink. So manipulate, start manipulating rooms because what happens there is one, we, we know them very well. We know everything about them because we spend a lot of time there. And two, there's no emotions associated with that. Most of the time, the reason you're messing up in your performance imagery is because you're emotional about it. You want something really, really, really bad, and you're so afraid you're not going to get it, right? So it's the emotion that messes with you. So start by improving your imagery or your visualization skill with something familiar that doesn't have the emotions associated with it, okay? So that's going to build that muscle, that visualization muscle, Then let's go back to that performance. So if you're still messing up in those performances, break it down into more manageable components. So like, give me an example of where you might mess up in your performances. Like give me a sport or... Oh, mine's always like future telling that I'm, that I I can't, I'm trying to visualize how I'm going to approach this thing with my son being a good mother. And then I do a future telling of like, and I'll screw it up and then he will become a scarred person. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yours is kind of based on a fear, right? It's based yeah, on it's all, fear all of what if I screw up? Right. I mean, that's, and I think we all have those what ifs. We all do what ifs in our heads all the time. What if I screw up? And then what are the impacts on this kid? And, you know, like, or the impacts in my life or whatever it might be, whatever your listeners might be screwing up on. So, a couple of things with the what ifs that you can do is, okay, what if I mess up? That's, you're already doing that one. But you could also play the other side in that, what if this ends up working out really, really well and he becomes, you know, the best version of himself and he lives this happy, healthy, wonderful life because I did the best I could as a mother, right? You have both of those are potential outcomes. It's not always going to be this bad thing. So going to the other side of the what if, right? But then also bringing yourself back. And I think this is a big one for a lot of people too, is giving yourself grace because we're all doing the best we can. And when it comes to raising kids, I mean, I am in the process of raising two of them myself. I have two teenage boys. That's, that's interesting. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, and so and I go through that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Two teenage boys. Um, and and what I've realized as a parent is to be open and honest and vulnerable with them as well. And when I do mess up, I go back and own that with them and say, "I am so sorry. I messed that up. I'm mom. I'm human. I'm doing the best I can. How can we fix this? Or I shouldn't have done that. Or I'm going to be better next time." But having those conversations with kids has been super helpful. And I've noticed that doing that over the years has really opened the door to my relationship with my kids too, in that they come and tell me things that no teenage boys probably tell their moms. I know a lot of stuff that's going on in their lives because I've opened that door for them. I've been honest. I've been vulnerable. I'm like, okay, we're all doing the best we can. And they know that if they come and tell me things, they're not going to get in trouble for it necessarily. We're going to work through it because we all make mistakes. And so I would encourage you to imagine the relationship that you want with your children, everybody out there, like what relationship do you want? And then fill in the gap. Well, how can I get there? And be graceful with yourself because are you going to mess up? Yeah. Have we all messed up? Yeah. But those mess ups don't have to have these catastrophic consequences that we're afraid that they have if we do something about it in the moment. Hey, dude, I'm so sorry. I mess. I'm really stressed and I took it out on you and I yelled at you and I shouldn't have yelled at you for what you did like that. I, I overreacted a little bit and I'm really sorry for that. Right. Be a human being with your kids and you're teaching them how to be human beings as well. When you do that, that's a little off that imagery visualization. Um, and I can go back to that. So if you're messing up like in a performance or something like that, then break it down into chunks. And so go back and say, okay, well, what part do I feel comfortable with? So if we go to, you know, lifting weights or something, so let's start with getting the grip right. Imagine yourself getting the grip correct. You don't have to imagine the whole thing, just get the grip correctly, right? Can you do that? And usually you're like, well, yeah, I know how to do that. And so that's what you imagine. And then maybe you get your body in the correct position. Do you know how to do that? Yeah, I know how to do that. So then in your mind, you get your body in that correct position. So you break it down into manageable chunks. So rather than seeing the entire performance, because you don't even know in your mind, usually where you're messing up, you just know you messed up. So start one piece at a time, the way you would actually do it in real life. So one, you walk up to the bar, two, you get your, you bend over, three, you get your hands in the correct position, four, you get your butt down, you get your body in the correct position. So you just break it down into those manageable chunks and see yourself doing that correctly. And then eventually you can put the whole thing together into a, a reel that doesn't stop necessarily. But the beauty of imagery and visualization is we can pause in our minds. We can slow motion in our minds. We can rewind in our minds. You can't always do that in real life. And so using your mind to do that appropriately will then transfer to real life and doing it appropriately. Oh, I love that tip. Yeah. That seems that seems I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can do the one, just the one thing you can do. Yep. Yeah. Like that you feel like you you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and then do that a bunch of times. Like that seems very, very manageable. I love it's that. Totally manageable. Yeah. Sometimes I even just like look at the bar and will refuse to look at the fact that there's weight on there because there's just the bar. <laughs> and like, I won't look around to see like what, what the plates are. It's just like, it's just the bar and I walk up to it and then I put my hands on it. Like, yeah. it's just yeah. like one thing after another before you have to get like, but is this two times my body weight? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't get there. You just like take it back a little bit <laughs> and just think of the bar. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Awesome. So then is that all the questions you had for visualization then? 
Because seriously, no, I can talk can. about it for hours. It's so important. <laughs> it's so cool. It, and it's so important. And the benefits of it are ridiculous when you really start doing it. Actually, I do want to share a little story about it, if if you don't mind. Like, I know we're probably getting over time, but <laughs> I could talk okay. about this stuff forever. I love what I do so much, and I want to share all the good stuff. So I played soccer for years, and I got taken out pretty hard on the soccer field. And I ended up having to have ankle surgery. And I went into the first surgery, I had to get what's called a microfracture because my the cartilage that covers my ankle bone had been torn. So a microfracture is where they go in and they drill little holes in your ankle bone to make it bleed so that your cartilage will regrow. Okay. So I went in, I had the surgery done and I came out and I started doing imagery. I started doing what's called healing imagery. So basically I'd spend 10 minutes a day healing and regrowing cartilage in my mind, right? Regrowing it over my ankle bone. Now, the cool thing about healing imagery is it doesn't have to necessarily be anatomically correct. And you can do, you can make it cartoonish if you want to, you can do whatever you want to do. And so at the time it was summer, I'm on the couch, I watched a lot of baseball. So when, when it rains in baseball, The men come out, the women come out, and they pull the tarp up over the mound and up over the dirt to protect the dirt so it doesn't get wet. You know, there's a rain delay. Well, what I was imagining was happening in my ankle was it was raining, which was the blood. Okay, that sounds kind of bad, but that's what I was imagining. And I would imagine these little, little people in there, little men and women coming and grabbing this cartilage tarp, and they would pull it up over the pitcher's mound, which was my ankle bone in my mind, right? And I'm the kind of person who, if I know I'm going to need 20 bucks, I bring 30. I like a little extra, a little cushion just to feel more comfortable. So in my mind, I was imagining those little people pulling that cartilage tarp all the way to the outfield, just a little bit further. And I would do that over and over and over and over again. Well, eventually I'm going to physical therapy and I'm still having pain. I can't figure out what it is. I go to the doctor and he says, well, okay, I mean, no offense, but you're older. Your part probably didn't regrow all the cartilage. I'm going to have to go in, figure out where the hole is, drill a, or figure out where the hole in your cartilage is, drill a hole in your bone there and try to get it to regrow there. I'm like, ah, dang it. Okay, fine. So I go back in for the second surgery and after the surgery, the doctor comes to me and he says, what did you do? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? What did I do? What's wrong with my ankle? What are you talking about? And he goes, not only did you regrow all of the cartilage over your bone, but you overgrew your cartilage. It's like nobody overgrows their cartilage. That's not a thing. But just like I was imagining it in my mind, that cartilage grew past the bone where it needed to grow. And that second surgery, all he had to do was shave it back down to the bone where it was supposed to be. And what did I do? Answer to that question, imagery. I imagined that cartilage overgrowing and that's exactly what it did in my ankle. Is that nuts or what? Wild. That's she, so she wild. She wanted to bring 30. Yeah. Yeah. She lied, you know. <laughs> so you need a little amazing. bit of cartridge? I'm going to bring it all. <laughs> I know, right? That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm telling you, this stuff works. It works incredibly well. Start using it. You will see a tremendous benefits from it for sure. Yeah. Okay. So number four, then cardinal skill number four is your self-talk. And that's where we all beat ourselves up, right? Those messages you're giving yourself all day long. We don't stop talking to ourselves. We're not necessarily aware always of what we're saying, but we are talking to ourselves all day long. And so here's a big thing about self-talk that I want to bring up because this is crucial for all of us, regardless of what you're doing. So 
most people think of self-talk as positive and negative, right? And they think of positive self-talk as saying like, I'm awesome. I'm the best one out here. I'm going to rock this world, you know, whatever. And most people think of negative self-talk as I suck. I can't do this. I hate myself. I'm, I'm stupid, whatever. That's not actually true. So here's the, here's the goodness on self-talk. It's not what you say that makes it positive or negative. It's how it makes you feel. What does it do for you? Okay. So here's my example. So I'm a runner and I'll be out running and right down Salt Lake City, it's hitting over a hundred degrees on a daily basis. And I'm out there running like, like a crazy person, <laughs> right? But I'm out there doing my thing. I'm out there running. Well, as you can imagine, my brain will go to, oh my gosh, it's so hot. I'm so tired. My legs are heavy. I can't breathe. I, you know, things like that. And I'm recognizing in those moments when I catch myself doing that, I am slowing down. I am miserable. I am not enjoying my run. And then I'll go to, oh, I could just call my husband. He can pick me up. Oh, I can take this shortcut and get home. Oh, I could just, you know, I'm, I'm looking for an out. That's not achieving what I went out there to achieve. That's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm looking for. What it's doing for me is holding me back. That is negative self-talk, Okay. When I catch myself doing this, I will literally say to myself, oh, come on, Nicole, you're being stupid. Just run. Okay, boom. I just called myself stupid. Most people would say that's negative self-talk. Uh-uh. For me in that moment, what it does for me is it shuts off that misery, that victim that I don't want to be doing this, and it gets me to run. I start running. I just called myself stupid, and you know what? It works for me. That's positive self-talk positive because it gets me going. It gets me moving. It gets me what I want to do. Now, if I called myself stupid in another scenario and it makes me feel bad, that's negative self-talk. Okay. So let's go back to, it's not what you say that matters. It's how it makes you feel. How does it work for you? If it gets you to do what you're wanting to do, if you're telling yourself, quit being stupid, get to the gym, you fat, lazy slob, but you know what that gets you to the gym? Boom. It worked. Great. That's positive self-talk. I do. I really love that you brought this up because I, I do think that people categorize things and then feel a, a failure if they're not meeting like the, the standard of what you're supposed to be saying or not supposed to be saying or whatever. And I also think it's, it's really important as an individual to find what makes you tick and then not judge it. Yes. So like, I like, I really like as an athlete thinking they're underestimating you. Mm. They don't think that you can do, they don't think you can do it. And like, that is a super motivator for me. And when, as a coach in, in my early career, I used to try to project that on other people and it wasn't their thing. It mm. wasn't motivating. And I was very confused mm. because I was like, but wait a minute, wait a minute. That's going to fire you up. You're going to be so much better because that you're was the me. underdog. Yeah. You're the underdog. And I would, and like, I was so projecting what worked for me. And then people would be like very, some people would re react very negatively to that. And I had to realize like, that's for me. And and also that it's okay. That's not negative self-talk to call right. yourself, to say like they're underestimating you. That's like right. I don't need to change that because it works for me. Exactly. Yep. That's it. Find what works for you and use it and don't judge it. 
right? Don't say, I shouldn't be saying those things to myself. If it works for you, that's positive. That's good. That's what you're looking for. But also recognize that everybody has something different that works for them and value that with them. Encourage it, whatever it is. Even if you're like, oh my gosh, that's awful. I can't believe you just said that to yourself. Hey, hold on a second. That's what works for me, right? And use that. There's a third kind of self-talk though that comes into play that a lot of people don't talk about and that's neutral self-talk. Okay, so positive makes you feel good, gets you going, gets the behavior you're looking for. Negative makes you feel bad, holds you back, makes you a victim, that kind of thing. Neutral is that self-talk that we use that doesn't have emotions associated with it. It's it's non-emotion. And so it could be something like, okay, I'm going to walk today. My plan is this. And you're looking at whatever your plan is for the gym that day. This is my workout program for today. If there's no feelings associated with that, it just is what it is. That's neutral self-talk. It doesn't there's no feelings there. So if we go back to what we talked about earlier with the one thought at a time, how do you get out of negative self-talk? You can't always go positive. It, it's, I mean, if we, if we use the standard definition of, oh, I'm terrible. I suck. I'm a loser. Oh no, I'm supposed to be positive. I'm great. I'm awesome. I love myself. Like that. Yeah. It's not real. It's forced and it doesn't work like yeah. that. <laughs> yes. But what you can do is go neutral. Find some thoughts that get you out of the funk, that get you out of the negativity. And maybe it's something like, oh, man, I don't want to go to the gym. This sucks. I feel weak today. I feel tired. Okay, I don't really feel great. I can't really say those forced things to myself. But you know what? What can I do? You know what? I'm going to go grab my bag. I'm going to put my shoes in my bag. I'm going to go get my workout clothes. I'm putting that in my bag. That's neutral. You're just collecting your gear. And as you're thinking about it, you're kind of commentating what you're doing. I'm going to go get this. Okay, now I'm going to go use the bathroom. Now I'm going to go fill up my water bottle. And here we go. I'm filling up my water bottle. I wonder how many seconds it will take. Right? You're just keeping your head in this neutral space that's non-emotion focused, which means you're not negative. You can live in neutral. You can you can have a great life in neutral. You can perform in neutral, but you can't in negative. We hold ourselves back and pull ourselves back so much. And it's so hard to go from I suck to I'm awesome and really believe that and feel it and drive it. And a lot of times if you're being sarcastic, guess what? That that what you think is positive self-talk is actually negative because you're like, oh yeah, I, I actually really, I can't believe I'm saying this to myself. I actually don't believe this. I know I suck. Oh my gosh. Right? So go neutral. Just commentate what you're doing. Say what you're planning on doing for that day. Make your list, whatever it might be. You don't have to think forward into, but I really don't want to go to the gym. Just think of, you know what, right now, I'm just going to go get my shoes. Where are my shoes? I'm going to go get my shoes. I'm going to put my shoes on. Whatever it might be, that could be a neutral space, which pulls you out of the negative and gives you a chance then to free your mind, clear your mind, to go positive and get in that space that's going to be productive and helpful for you. I'm doing this today. I, yeah, I, I feel I'm like it's, today. it's just, it's, it's such a natural progression that sometimes we just skip over where like, you can't go from negative to like super positive. Like, I don't feel like personally that has worked for me, but I can get into neutral and then I can slide into being, having a great session and like relating this to the gym is like, I've started a session being like, I feel like absolute shit today yep. Yep. and I'm not going to, I'm supposed to max out. Are you serious? And it starts this whole thing. And then I'm like, well, well what we're going to do is we're going to get the warm up in and we're going to work to 60% because that's what you got today. I'll get to 60%, 65, 70, 75. And then it continues on. And then it's like, okay, this can be a pretty good day, but it did get, took like an hour to get there. <laughs> it took an hour 
a couple warm-ups to get there. But like, really, it's such a natural progression of like, what am I actually feeling right now? And what's the next thing? But I love that you said it in the beginning, it all comes back to like recognizing how you are feeling and not like trying to fake it out of there. Exactly. Like, yeah. This is my emotion. This is how I'm feeling when I'm coming into the session today. And that's real and that's valid. And then like, what am I going to do next? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's it. That's it. And really, I mean, a lot of times we show up, but we don't always have a hundred percent. Like that's just not reality <laughs> for anybody, yeah. whether it's just those of us who are regular people out there just you know, getting into consistent exercise or the elite level athletes I work with, you know, even though they love what they do, they don't always have a hundred percent when they show up for training sessions. And so what I tell everybody all the time is your task is not to give a hundred percent every day. Your task is to give a hundred percent of whatever you bring that day. So if you're only at 60%, give a hundred percent of your 60%. And if you're going to judge yourself for that, judge yourself in a positive way to say, Hey, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I didn't feel great, but I showed up and I gave it what I had and I can feel good about that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that for sure. Then there, there's one more. Yeah, there's one more. There's one more. Okay. This is an easy one. It's just pre-performance routines. So we warm ourselves up, yes. but are you ready to go? Being ready to go means not just physically warmed up, but mentally in that right space. And a lot of times those pre-performance routines, it's simple. It's just like a three to five minute right before you go into whatever your performance is to get your mind in the right space. So it usually is going to consist of, you know, if you need some, you know, recognition of those emotions, usually it consists of some combination of the first four, right? So it might be the recognition of emotion. And then what am I going to do with it, right? Embrace the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck. All right, let's do this. Getting into positive self-talk in some way, what's working for you. Remember, positive self-talk is whatever works for you. That's what you're using. And then kind of like getting your head into the space of it's go time. And so that three to five minutes prior to performance, just making sure your brain's in the place that it's going to be productive and helpful for you. And whatever that looks like for you, again, no judgment, whatever it looks like for you, usually seeing some combination of those first four is what you're looking for in those pre-performance routines. Wow. That's so, yeah. I mean, get your mind right to get your life right. I think, you know what, Nicole, to be yeah. honest, I think like, I'm just going to say it straight out. I think we're going to need another episode. <laughs> because, um, I just, I just really think that this stuff is so great and so important. And I just, I really think application wise, we could do a lot more in another episode of like, all right, like we're going to work on like these specific things Let's do for it. you. Yeah. I would, mm. I, I just think that's great. I want to just give one piece of advice to someone just to start today that they can say like, I'm struggling with my mental game. I seem to be in this rut that I cannot get out of mentally. What's just a, an applicable exercise that maybe I could do today that would just, just a baby step, just kind of set me off in the right direction? What, what advice could you give? Yeah, I'm going to give you a generic answer and then I'll give you a specific one. So the generic one is thinking back on this episode and everything you've heard with those five cardinal skills and the stuff we've talked about. What's the one thing that resonated the most with you? What's the one thing that kind of hit you like a ton of bricks and you're like, oh man, 
that's the one you need to use. Whichever one that is, wherever you are in your life at this point in time, you know, we're all different. We all have different journeys. We're all just doing the best we can, but you never know. I mean, you listen to this podcast one day and then again, two weeks later, something different might hit you on that day. So whatever is the thing that really stood out to you the most is the one that you should start with today right now in this moment, because that's the one you need. All right. We got to pay attention to those things when they kind of smack us between the eyes, you know, pay attention to it. So whatever that is, but if you're, if you're not quite sure, maybe a lot of it hit you or you're not quite sure where to start or whatever, I would always start with that emotional control, like recognizing those emotions. Cause again, you can't control anything about your life unless you first learn to control yourself. What is happening in this world in this moment? And so recognizing and acknowledging and labeling those emotions, like really, well, I feel frustrated because my body isn't what it used to be. Okay, what am I going to do with it? Well, I'm either going to choose to make a change or I'm not, right? I love the whole, the memes that are out on the internet about choosing your hard, like choose your hard. Like it's hard to be healthy. It's hard to be unhealthy. Choose your hard, right? It's hard to go to the gym guess what? It's hard to sit on the couch all the time because of what happens as a result of that. Do you want all those doctor visits? Do you want to deal with all of that? Guilt. Yeah. All the guilt, right? Choose your heart. And so when you you can look at those emotions and say, man, like I'm struggling today. I I don't really want to go to the gym. Okay. Choose your heart. Do, do I want to make a difference in my life or do I not? Do I want to feel good about myself or do I not? I really believe that if you can get you that mindset in the right space with those emotions, and I would also throw on top of that self-talk, they kind of go together in that space. What are the messages you're giving to yourself? You know, at the end of the day, yes, you are worth it. You are. Absolutely. Every single person listening to this, you are worth it. You are, you have worth, you have value, you are loved, love yourself Talk to yourself in a way that's going to be productive and beneficial, that's going to get you to do those things that you really want to do. And again, just give it 100% of whatever you have. Don't refuse to go to the gym because you only have 60% that day. Go to the gym and give 100% of your 60% and the benefits over time, you will be so glad you did. You know, five years is going to pass. Five years from now, what will you wish you had done today? What do you wish you would have started today? Because you have a chance every day to start. Wow, I totally went off on a tangent. You asked for one thing and I gave you, you a know, Sorry. You know what? You know when I know I love another woman? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. When she s- proclaims to other women that they're enough and she tears up. That's yeah. how I know this yeah. is my friend. This is my woman. Like, this yeah. is, like don't you just like, yeah. that's this is my. <laughs> She's here for it. She's it's here true. It's it. true. Yeah. I love you, Nicole. <laughs> Thank you. You are also enough and you are also doing it. And I think that the hard, it's also hard to realize that you are in the driver's seat. I think yeah. that's another really hard thing. Yeah. And I think that people have to just work through that because like the realization that all along you were worth it and you had control it's hard because it feels like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you know what? I mean, honestly, as, as women, the three of us women and talking to all the women out there, and I, I'm not leaving the men out and, and by any means, but we all struggle with that balance of 
life and jobs and families and house and everything in our lives. And we put ourselves to the side so much. We don't take care of ourselves. And yet really when we live our best versions of ourselves, how do we become the best moms that we can be by doing things for ourselves and making sure we take care of ourselves? How can we be the best spouses, the best partners, the best professionals, whatever it is, by taking care of ourselves. And the thing is, like, we don't have to spend hours doing that every day. We just have to make sure that we do those things for us that help us be the best versions of ourselves. And maybe that's going to the gym. Maybe it's just going for a walk today and, you know, taking five minutes for yourself. Maybe you go down and get the mail by yourself or you walk around the block one time that you spend that time with yourself. And we don't do that enough, yet the benefits are so so powerful on that personal level when we do and we do show up better for other people in our lives when we do those things for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. You said it, sister. Well, this has been, I think, extremely beneficial to get people started on this track of really, really paying attention to the mental game, knowing that it's there and then having these, you know, applicable tips is, I think it's just the key to really starting to live the life that you imagine and that you dream of. And, and I just think that you are really doing the work, Nicole, you are really out there doing the work. And this message is so being heard and women everywhere need it. And so I just want to thank you for all of the work that you do in this field. Cause it's, it's really making a difference. Awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that. And let our listeners know where they can find hear more or find more and learn more from you. Yeah, sure. Like where's the best, where's the best way to find you? Yeah. So <laughs> kind of all over the place, but my website is headstrongconsulting.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Our company is at headstrong team. My personal on Twitter, Instagram is at headstrong doc, D O C like doctor headstrong doc. And then we actually have a podcast as well. It's called Becoming Headstrong. And it's everybody in my company. We all, um, there's six of us now. Uh, We just hired three more last week, which I'm really excited about. Um, Three really strong, amazing women that I am so stoked to bring to our team. But anyway, on our podcast, all the episodes are less than 10 minutes. It's just some tip trick about mental toughness, how you can build it. Um, it, a new episode drops every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So there's a lot on there. Um, we're almost two years into hosting it. So there's a lot in the background that people can go back and find. Um, but hopefully that'll be something that can be helpful, whether it's for you or for your kids or, you know, it's, it's about performance. It's just mental toughness stuff. A lot of what I talked about today is on there from now. It'll be six different people that you'll hear from over the course of time on that podcast. I love it. Definitely check that out, guys, and check her out um, because there is this is like an ongoing thing and so much to learn, as you can tell by this podcast. Um, okay, Nicole, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I will put some of these links in the show notes too so that people can easily get to them. And we love you guys. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate both of you. You keeping your amazing selves and for everybody out there. I my my sign off now has always been keep thinking positive and testing negative. Thank you so much for listening to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. If you'd like to join our movement, head over to the Facebook group and take part in our free weekly workouts for a chance to win some badass gear. Search Fitness Programming by CVG on Facebook. We're in there every day. It's a perfect place to get in touch with us. 
This podcast is made possible by Constantly Varied Gear, so be sure to check out constantlyvariedgear.com. See you next week. Crush your goals.